It's a great joy to welcome one of our amazing elders, Hannah Talbot, who's going to come and bring God's word. Bless you. Good morning, everyone. Well, our brains are amazing in how quickly they work. And I would imagine, as I've come up, and I've only been up a few seconds, that there would be similar thoughts running through my head that's all linked to the top that I'm wearing. So some of you will be surprised that I would be in sportswear. Others would be surprised I'd be wearing sportswear when preaching. And then there'll be all of the judgment on the team. So I've already lost a proportion of the room because they're not Manchester United. I've just won massively to others. Me personally, coming up here, I've just got my mum's voice in my head going, you can't wear that to church because you only wore certain things. Now, I do need to make it clear that before I was married, I didn't watch football and I didn't have a team. This shirt came with my wedding ring. So... <laughs> It's something that I have actually really enjoyed, but because I didn't come from a sport-watching family, I didn't know the protocol. So my family's very sporty, they love sport, but I don't have uh, my dad or my brothers, they don't support a team of any particular kind. Tendi, however, my husband, comes from a very strongly football-grounded family, and his family's quite unusual because they support different teams. So his brother, his youngest brother, and himself support Manchester United. His middle brother isn't so into football, he's a different team, but his parents both support Liverpool. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of jesting and jibing when one or the other plays, or when they play each other. So when we were dating and it began to become appropriate for me to buy gifts for his parents on their birthdays, I thought, what can I get his dad? His dad's birthday comes first in the year. And I was like, it's got to be something football related. So I found a lovely Liverpool reusable water bottle, got his favourite number on it, got his name printed on it. They did shipping to Malta, which is where they live, bingo. He received it, loved it, even put a picture on Instagram about it, sent me a message. I thought I'd been a really good girlfriend and given a lovely gift, which is important to me because I'm a real gifts person. What I wasn't anticipating was the chat that came afterwards, which is where Tendi explained, if I had an allegiance to a certain team, I didn't fraternize with another team in any way. Whether it was a gift or not, I was putting money into their bank account, and that's not how it works. So I learned my lesson. I'm not doing any football gifts of any nature at any point. And I just pray our children are Manchester United fans. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we've learned in the last few years, as we have seen throughout society for centuries, that where you place your religion has a big consequence. And as we've seen different discriminations come to light and inequalities, which side of the fence you stand on with them has become more and more pertinent. Whether it's politics, the discrimination or injustice, whether it's what faith you are, all of it has a big repercussion. We know that struggles around the world are not new. 
We've all been shocked and heartbroken at the events in the Ukraine. And somehow, because it's Europe, it feels different. And I felt a bit upset with myself that there's been war raging in Yemen for the last 17, uh, 17 seven years, with 18,000 killed, 20.1 million in a food crisis. And actually, I hadn't given it much thought. Sadly, war is all around us, Syria, Afghanistan, to name a few. And as a Christian, that can cause some uncomfortableness because there's questions of, well, where's your God and why does he allow such things? And so as we look around, I've sensed a bit of a questioning of what does it mean to be on Team Christ? Actually, how do we show ourselves? Well, we know that the Bible says that we show ourselves by our love we have for one another in John 13, 35. And we know that it also talks about things that we're not in terms of unforgiveness or bitterness. And you can see on the screen just a few of the Bible verses related to that. But as we felt this shaking with lots of different scenarios, I wanted to take this morning as a bit of a pit stop to reflect on what it means to be on Team Christ. So there's three aspects that I'm going to be looking at. The first is our confidence in Christ and his word. The second is the almightiness of God. And the third is the power of the king. For anyone that's done any uh, drama activities or amateur dramatics, there's a very popular uh, exercise that you do where the director will call out different characters of a different status. And if the character has a low status, then you have to walk around the room as that person. And so you'd uh, kind of hunch your shoulders and maybe shuffle and be inward folking, and that would reflect low status. And then if you were high status, you'd be tall and your head would be upright and your shoulders would be back and you'd take strong strides. How we walk has a big implication on how we see ourselves and on how other people see our life. And in a time when there's been a lot of shaking, actually what do and how can we have confidence? Well, Jesus spoke about having confidence in his word. And he spoke about it in the parable of building your house on a rock. And we read in Matthew 7, 24-7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his hand on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I'm not sure if you've ever been to the beach and maybe had that slightly odd experience of standing still, but because the tide is sucking the sand with it, you feel like you're moving. Or if you've ever been on the moor and you were walking along quite happily and then suddenly you step into a boggy part and your foot goes down as the water level comes up to the level of your boot and how you move to get out of that situation changes from where you were previously. You start jumping from spot to spot trying to find the next bit of solid ground. Compare that to when you're walking on a concrete pathway where you know it's solid and where you know you're not going to sink anywhere. Your steps are steady generally and you know that you're safe. Sinking sand and solid ground. In times of despair, seeing people of confidence and joy is infectious. 
They're attention drawing. And why do we have confidence? Well, we have confidence because we know whose we are in God. We had that amazing series from Mark about the songs of Solomon and how loved we are by God. And we know when we stand in times of uncertainty, when lots of people can be anxious, we stand firm. As a follower of Christ, we know we stand on the rock. In life, we have a joy that doesn't make sense, and in death, we have a life that doesn't make sense. Of course, there's lots of pain, and of course, there's lots of heartache, but we're not hopeless because we have that firm foundation. And this confidence isn't a say la vie, oh, it's all okay, got to work it all out, and just kind of chipping along, not really engaging in the problem. It's because our inner core is connected to the creator, because our God is good. Christ is our confidence. In Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock, his ways are perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. The parable of standing on the rock uh, is looking at it in terms of standing on our word, standing on his word. And we need that because even though we might know it and we might know it, still we need to remind this thing that we know we have an assurance of whose team we're on. And so what does the word say exactly about us having confidence in God and in his word? Well, in Numbers 23:19, it says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said he will do it, or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God speaks truth. We can fully trust in all that he says. It is the Lord that goes before you, in Deuteronomy 31:8. He will be with you, he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. God is always with you and always by your side. And I am sure of this, Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We are his good works. He will not leave something half done. He'll not get bored. He'll not forget. He will bring it to completion. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Exodus 14, 14. God is always on your side and he is fighting every one of your battles. And leading on from that, 1 Samuel 17, 37. The Lord who delivers me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. God will deliver us from all our enemies. 1 John 3, 1, we are called children of God. And Deuteronomy 28, 13, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. We are a child of the king. He has called us to be the head and not the tail. And so in that drama exercise, we have our heads up. As Christians, let us walk tall. Let us walk boldly and confidently. Not because we've got everything right. Not because we don't have doubts. Not because we're perfect. But because we have confidence in God and in who God is. We are a child of the king. And that means we have so much status. Not to be arrogant or proud. But to be confident in Christ. Of where we stand. And to be sure of whose you are. The world is ever-changing and will be ever-changing. Our situations will swing and shift throughout our lives, but throughout, we know we are saved, we are redeemed by Christ, and we are placed on the rock. 
A football fan will come to each game with that desperate hope that their team will win. As a Manchester United supporter, I've learned that very keenly. You've got great games and terrible games and everything in between. We don't need to mention yesterday. Uh, <laughs> and that excited worry is, will they make it or will they won't make it? But as, a t as part of being on Christ's team, we know he has the victory. He's won. We know what the final score was. Jesus is victorious. And so, in a world full of worry, we show our identity not necessarily with an outer symbol, but in how we walk, with that inner smile, that inner confidence of Christ and of his victory. And Jesus gave this example throughout the New Testament. There's one example in Matthew 9, 18, when somebody said that his daughter had just died and please could Jesus come. Now I know if I'd heard that, I would have panicked. I'd probably have gone the wrong way and got lost. I would have been screaming at anyone called an ambulance or where's a doctor. Jesus didn't do that because he knew what his confidence was. He knew where he stood. He got up, he arose, he walked, he sent everybody out who was mourning the death of a girl. He took her by the hand and she awoke. Jesus knew the outcome because he knew that she would live. And we don't ignore situations and we're not called to be insensitive to situations, but we are called to be firm in our faith. We pray and we fast, but we also know that it's God who is in control and it's him that is unshaken. His word is solid. His word is unwavering. The rock, and that's one of the many reasons why coming back to his word over and over again is so important. I'm sure your minds are far more disciplined than mine, but I worry and I stress and I get overwhelmed and I doubt and I question, but coming back to the word places your feet firmly on that solid rock. We are saved by the blood of Christ. That blood is unretractable, irreversible and unchangeable. And we are bought with a blood-bound covenant. Saved, redeemed, we have the victory. So don't let any worldly situation or any personal situation sway you from that because you were bought by the blood and we stand on the word. And when you look at the characters in the Bible, there are lots of them that could have been swayed as their life was turned upside down. And one of those characters that I love to look at is Job. He went through times when everything looked lost. And I'm sure we can all think to times in our life when that felt like our reality. Or maybe you're in one of them right now. That season where it just looks like it's unchangeable and nothing will be saved. When you're facing a giant and you only have a slingshot. When you've been sold into slavery and accused of rape, but you've only been upstanding. When you've been charged with murder and yet God says to go back to that very place that's charged you and tell the king to let my people go or when the man you've left everything for then dies. And we know with those examples of David and Goliath and Moses and Joseph and Jesus and the disciples what the outcome was because we read the end of the story. But for us in our everyday life, when we don't read the end of the story because we're not there yet, what then? Well, then I like to look at Job because he went through exactly that. The book of Job starts with a summary of his character. The man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. 
And the Bible at the beginning of this book describes how Satan challenged God, that Job was only upright and blameless because he knew that he was going to be blessed by doing the right thing. And so God allowed Satan to sift him, to show him, no, God, Job is one of my true followers. And Satan did what he did. He destroyed his health. He just took away his children. And he destroyed all of the crops and all of the livestock that he had. And to begin with, Job had three friends that came and sat with him and mourned with him. And Job, the Bible says, didn't challenge God. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And his friends, once they sat and mourned with him, then they began to challenge him and said, Job, you, you must have done something really terrible for this to happen to you. And in all of it, Job refutes them because Job had done nothing wrong. And at times, Job feels really close to God, and at other times, he feels like he's free-falling. We read in 1925, for I know my Redeemer lives, and then in 23.2, today also, my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of groaning. And it goes back and forth and back and forth as the friends accuse Job and Job refutes it. And eventually, Job demands a response from God. And God answers Job out of the whirlwind. And God's reply wasn't to explain, it was to question. It was to question if Job could run the world for even a day. This is chapter 38, and I'm jumping through verses a little bit. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who shut the sea doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band? Have you commanded the morning since the days began and caused the dawn to know its place? And then he ends saying to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? And two verses later, Job replies, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hands over my mouth. Whose team are we on? We are on the team of God the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And I know there are terrible things, and I knew there are beautiful things, but we have a very big God, a God who knows more about the runnings and the detail of this earth than every human brain combined. Don't lose sight of how small we are in comparison to the creator of the universe. God is in control, and we won't understand it all, and Satan will be at hand, but God is at hand in such a more powerful way. And Satan doesn't have a hold on your destiny all your eternity when you're in Christ. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who, who can be against us? No matter what is thrown our way, we have eternal life. And that is more than all the riches on the earth. When things look impossible, let your faith rise up and not your despair. There's a, a lovely account when Moses was in the wilderness and the Israelites are complaining that they've not had meat for such a long time. And so God then says he's going to bring the meat. And then Moses replies back to him, having asked for the meat, how could God possibly do that? And God replies in Numbers 11, 23, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you will see whether my word will come true for you or not. Church, on the 3rd of April, 2022, is the Lord's hand shortened? Because it wasn't shortened then, 
and it's not shortened today, and it won't be shortened in a hundred or two hundred or a thousand years' time, because his word is true and solid and unchanging. The miracles of God are endless, too great to ever collate into one account. And that's because there's no limit to what he can do. Out of nowhere he fed the Israelites. His power and might is not limited or lacking. We are on the team of the mighty king. And yes, we don't know why things do or don't happen. But we do know that he is mighty, that he is powerful, and that he is the almighty. And when you are with God, God isn't far away. He's not distracted and he's not absent. Whether you feel him or not, being on God's team means that you're right there with him and he's right there with you, even when your brain tries to tell you otherwise. He is our comforter, he's our help in time of need and he's our miracle worker. And so as we begin to wrap up, I'd like to show you a clip of a miraculous healing of a young Norwegian boy called Adrian. At about five and a half months, Adrian's mother uh, and father was advised to start to put him onto formula milk to help begin the transition onto solid food. And after a short while, it became very apparent that Adrian was very sick indeed. He couldn't keep anything down. Uh, he would just scream continually. His parents recount how they would have 30-minute shifts of holding him because he was in so much pain. He'd just scream and scream and scream. He was admitted to hospital, and once the hospital could help his pain, they couldn't bring a resolution. He had a problem with his gut and his digestive system that they couldn't diagnose, but it was literally wasting his life away. His muscles were wasting, he had epilepsy, and his, the hospital said that due to all of his health conditions, he would be unlikely to live. His parents went through years of spending months at time in hospital and knowing at different points their son might die only to make it through to the next morning. Eventually, when he got to about 11 years old, the doctors advised that if they were to go on a family trip, this would be the year to do it because next year he probably wouldn't be strong enough. So they begin to think, well, where can we take our family? They'd never been anywhere because Adrian needed to be in hospital so much. So they thought, we can't go to the beach because he can't play on the sand. There's no point going to Disneyland because he won't be able to go on any of the rides or enjoy it. And so then they thought, they're going to go to Bethel. Now, they went to Bethel because their children loved their music, and it was something that they could all take part in. And so we're going to pick up the story at this point. We couldn't go to the, to the beach because of Adrian. We couldn't play in the sand. We couldn't go to a Disney park because he was too weak to go to everything and he just had to look at them and that was not fun for him. And we thought, well, we'd like to go to a conference, like a church conference. And that might sound weird, but we had never been able to go anywhere. But we thought, so what if we go to Bethel Church? Our kids just love their music. When we got to Bethel, Adrian leaned over and he said to me, Mom, now I know that whatever God has for me, that's what I want. I know he wants the best for me. And that was just great. Um, and then we, we went to a, a breakout session on, on healing. And at the end, they said, does anyone need a miracle? And he raised his hand and a young man stood next to Adrian. And he said, 
so what's wrong with you? And Adrian said, I can't eat. And he just prayed for Adrian, praying for new life in his stomach and, and his digestive system. And, and off we went. And I asked Adrian, so did you sense anything? Did you feel any different? And I said, no, but it was a good experience. So for lunch, we went to a restaurant nearby because we, we just needed to eat before the next session. And we all ordered and Adrian said, can I have the breadstick to play with? And usually at home, we would always give him food on his plate for him to, to cut to pieces and to smell and just to be a part of the meal, basically. And all of a sudden, Adrian said, can I have another one? And we said, no, you already have one. And he said, not anymore. Yeah, I just ate it. I, it just happened. I have no idea why. I have no idea how it tasted. I don't remember. All I remember is my dad looked on his face when I told him. He was shocked and a little bit terrified. Will he be sick or is it get healed or how will this go? Just tiny, tiny amounts of watermelon that contains a lot of water was enough to, to make him very sick. So just the idea of him eating a breadstick, it was like... It was... It was unimaginable. So my husband and I started talking. Now what do we do? Do we take him to a hospital? And we thought, no, there's, it's no use. They don't know him here, you know? It's just too complicated to begin to explain everything. And we thought, well, we'll just have to observe. And he went to bed and everything was normal and we recognized something was different, but we didn't know what. The next morning, I tiptoed into his room to see if he was still alive. And I, I looked over in his bed, and Thomas came and stood next to me. And there he was, sleeping, rosy-cheeked, and, and he was just fine. I woke up with my mom over me and I asked, when is breakfast? And it was just amazing. His healing didn't come with a manual. We didn't know how to do this. But honestly, we just couldn't stop him. He would eat everything. He would have burgers and fries and salads and, and pizzas and, and ice cream and everything. You know, it was just impossible to stop him. I had 12 years to catch up on. Within days from when he was healed, the muscles started growing back. He was changing right before our very eyes. When we came back to Norway, Adrian's doctors are saying, this cannot be explained medically. His physiotherapist says, this is a miracle from God. It just can't be anything else. Some very strange feelings. When you have been through so many years, we're expecting him, he could die. And now he has the possibility to, to grow up, to get a family and to get... Everything is possible for him now. That is amazing. I remember the very moment I was in a car and and I realized that Adrian would have a future. And he had been healed for quite some time, but it, it just hit me that he will have a future. And I was just so grateful. You know, all those prayers that we th prayed throughout Adrian's life and his, his illness, I firmly believe that those kept him alive. He wasn't healed, but God kept him in his hand. I believe in the power of prayer and I believe in the power of God.
I think nothing is impossible for God. Healing is on the Lord's heart. You know, that is, it is who He is. He's the creator, the life giver, the healer. I used to think that I know that God can heal, but I don't know if He wants to. And now I know He wants to. Amen. We are on the winning team. God has the victory. We can be confident in Christ. We can stand on his word. We have a God that is almighty and the all-powerful king. And we know there is nothing outside of his ability or his control. And whilst we don't have all the answers, we do know, we do know the answer is always him. To be on Team Christ is not about winning or losing because we know the final score and that is victory. It's not about money or fame because he gives riches and blessings that are beyond any form of money and any amount of fame. It's not about popularity because he said the last will be first and the first will be last. It's a team that is open to everyone, is all loving and is all powerful. And so as we end, I'd like to give three opportunities. The first opportunity is if you don't know Christ and if you aren't, haven't been on Team Christ, haven't been a Christian, I'd like to give you that opportunity to become one. The next one is if you are a Christian, but you know that actually God hasn't been God in your life, then I'd love to pray with you. And the third opportunity is if you need physical healing, then I'd love for you to come and we can pray for that as well. So if I can ask us all to close our eyes. And God, I thank you. Oh, mighty King. I thank you so much that we have the honor and the privilege through the cross of being your children, of being with you on Team Christ. And if you've never become a Christian, and if you want to know Christ, know his love, know his freedom, then pray this prayer with me in your heart. Almighty God, I thank you that you died for the forgiveness of all the wrongdoings I've done. I thank you that you have so much love for me. God, I believe in you and I ask you to come and fill my life with your power and your presence. In the name of Jesus, amen. If I could ask everyone to keep their eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, could you raise your hand? I'll say thank you and then you can put it down again. I became a Christian in this church. I know exactly what that internal struggle is like. online, then please just let our online pastors know. They'd love to pray for you. So the second opportunity was if God hasn't been God in your life. Pray this prayer with me in your hearts. Father God, you are God. You are King. And I'm sorry that I've placed things above you. And I'm sorry that I haven't let you have full control 
and full access in my life. I lay all those things that were above you down, almighty God. And I say, be God in my life. Be my first love. In the name of Jesus. Amen.